Good morning, everyone. It's always a privilege uh, for me to preach. Uh, I haven't preached at 9 a.m. since April 2016. Uh, you guys see me up here all the time, but I think this is a, a different work. We all know this, so I, I understand the gravity of it. Um, and this morning, as Travis mentioned, we're going to pause and we're going to think about serving and committing to the church. And just as I start, I want to have a question for you. Where is, where is your relationship at? Where are you guys going? You know, you and her, you've been seeing each other for a while. What's your deal? Are you thinking about the next step? Have you thought about how she sees a situation? How she feels? Have you thought about her needs? Where are you and the church at? Where are you and the church at? I don't know if you remember your dating period in your life. Maybe you're in that season right now. I don't know if you've ever had that awkward conversation with a friend or a parent of the person that you're dating. And it gets to that point where you have to ask each other, where are we at? Where is our relationship at? And I just want to preface by saying it's okay to date the church for a little while. And what I mean by dating, I mean seeing each other, checking each other out, wondering if we have compatibility, if we have similar goals, similar values. But we all know that dating is not enough. We all know that there's a deeper, more meaningful relationship, more purposeful relationship on the other side of dating. Where is this relationship going? Am I ready to commit? There I said it. I said the big word, commit. My generation, we hate commitment. You guys know it. Everyone's always ragging on millennials about you guys don't commit to anything. Um, You guys heard of Costco? Anyone heard of Costco? Trav loves Costco. He's always telling me about Costco. I've been to Costco once, and I was um, was really excited as I walked in. I love food. I love big food. That's at a cheap price, which is what Costco is. So as I walked into Costco, I saw these big bulk foods. Um, I was very excited. As I went to check out, though, the guy at the checkout said, oh, before you shop here, you need to sign up. I freaked out. <laughs> I had a panic, panic moment. What's it going to cost me? It's like $50. I walked out, dropped the groceries and walked out and haven't been back to Costco since. <laughs> the commitment. It's something about committing to something that we're, we're very afraid of. That was so small, a $50 commitment. Um, and just, just the thought of it, just the thought of committing can make us cringe. Today is a standalone sermon, and I want us to talk about going from dating the church to committing to the church. You guys with me? I want us to go from dating the church to committing to the church, committing to the family. And I think there's a better way than what a lot of us are experiencing. Uh, We're going to see today that the the best relationship um, that we can experience, and as we experience even in human relationships, is on the other side of commitment. There's actually a better relationship on the other, other side of commitment. Going from dating the church to committing to the family. And before I begin, I just want to say two things, just as a preface. Some of you in here are genuinely exploring Christianity. Um, Please keep dating. Please keep dating the church. 
I want you to feel the freedom to continue to date, continue to check out Jesus, his validity, continue to check out Jesus and everything he claims. Check her out. And can I just say, don't just date her on her best day. Date the church on her worst day. And what I mean by that is date the church in every sphere of life. Join a community group. See that this is real people with real struggles who are broken, who are all just trying to go through life looking, up, looking after Jesus. Even more, more than that, take her out for coffee. Ask one of the leaders. Ask someone who calls NBC home. Hey, can I take you out for coffee? Can you tell me why you follow Jesus and why you call NBC home? So if you're genuinely in that space and you're just checking out Christianity, take her out and see it, date her on her worst day. And secondly, you might be looking for a new church. You might be looking for a new church. You've, you've moved into the area. Um, you're looking for a new church that teaches the Bible, uh, that values community, that values mission. Um, by all means, check out this church for a while. But remember, there's a more deeper, more beautiful, more profound relationship to have with the church that's on the other side of commitment. Now, so, so that as a preface, I want us to get into our passage, but before we jump into it, uh, the verses that was read by us, was read to us, uh, they come halfway through the book of Ephesians, and after Paul, he's, um, he's made all these claims from Ephesians 1 to 4, and Ephesians 1, there's this, there's this turning point. It's this kind of, therefore, or then as a response to everything that I've said, therefore, this is how we should act. And just really quickly, as kind of a fast-forward fast forward version, I want to give you a sped-up version of Ephesians 1-4, to because I think that'll be really helpful for us. Um, and I think it's really important as we think about serving and commitment to say right up front that obedience to God, what we do and how we act, is always a response to God's grace. I want us to catch that, that obedience to God is always a response to God's grace. And we see this pattern here in Ephesians 4. Everything we've said, everything that we've heard and read, Ephesians 1 to 3, is everything that God's done to us, and then what we should do as a response. So here's a really sped up version, Ephesians 1 to 4. I just want to remind you all the things that Jesus has done for us and he offers us. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's given us redemption and forgiveness. He's given us his Holy Spirit which means he's empowered us to live a new life. He's taken us from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And these are two very important ones I want us to remember. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been created for good works in Christ Jesus. God's actually planned for us to do good works, each and every one of us. And at the end of Ephesians 2, it says, once we were strangers... And now we're welcomed in as a member of God's household. And he's building a new house for us to dwell in. And secondly, God goes on at the start of Ephesians 4, 3. Let's catch this. This slide's going to come up. I want us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want us to make every effort to keep the unity. It's a hard work for us to keep the unity. Um, and just before the text that was read, it has all this, you guys can see it in your, in your Bible, all this, this one, this repetition of one, 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 straight off the unity, one love, one spirit, one body, this commitment to the one, one, one. Now, if this is everything God has given us, if this is real, 
There's a new way to walk through life. There's a new way to relate to our brothers and sisters. There's a unity that we have to fight for. Um, How do we do this? How do we live out this enormous calling? Uh, Paul says, God's power is at work within, within us. That's God's power that's at work within us. Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ gives us grace to live out this enormous calling. He gives out grace. So I want us just to, that was really quick. I want us just to bundle that up. Remember, obedience to God is always a response to grace and everything he's given us. He's given us so much, called us to a lot. But as we respond, it's always um, off the back of grace and compelled by grace. Now let's get into the text that was read for us. I'm just going to read it again for us just so we can concrete it. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. I'd love if you read along with me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, I've been talking about commitment. Um, This is where I'm going. The sermon's just going to have two parts. Firstly, I'm just going to look at just the passage that was read for us, and I'm going to just follow the flow of the passage. That's where the power comes, comes from. It always comes from the word. Um, And we're just going to be looking at the question, what does it look like for specific people to serve God's church? What does it look like for specific people to serve God's church? And then part two, I'm going to answer that question. Why commit? Why commit? So part one, what does it look like for specific people to serve? And part two, why should we commit? Let's go into it. Verse 12, that pop up on the screen, very clear, very clear. Clear purpose for our leaders. Equip his people for works of service. Another, another translation of that is to equip the saints. Equip the saints. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that God's given us leaders. God's actually given us leaders. And their role isn't to lord it over us, isn't to be a dictator, but it's actually to equip the saints. For works of service, to equip the saints. And just like God gives gifts to everyone, Paul reminds us that he gives different gifts to different types of leaders. There's that list there of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. Um, and I found a really quick, helpful definition of um, those different kinds of leaders that are in the church. Um, firstly, apostles are sent out. They sent out the gospel to new places. They send out the gospel to new places. Prophets make God's word relevant in particular situations. Evangelists, they share to new people, people that haven't heard it before. And shepherds or pastors, they teach. They give us the consistent diet. 
And the purpose of all that is to equip God's people. This might be a bit nerdy, but that, that word equip that's used there, uh, another word that's translated into is, is set, um, to set God's people. Um, and I think, I think this isn't a mistake here. Paul's image that he's about to use later is of the body. And it's possible that he's alluding to the fact that the job of our leaders is to, to set each part of the body in its place. To set each part, kind of like a doctor sets each part of, it, part of its body in its right condition to function properly. And I think what's really interesting is that it also alludes to the fact um, that body image that individually we're all broken. I'm broken. We're all broken. But as we come together, as God is the head, as he sets the body together, we become something beautiful. We become something stronger than we were when we were individual. And, and what's really cool, it recognizes even though the leaders can oversee the process, it's actually God that makes the body. It's Christ that's the head and that God makes the body. And as much as the leaders can oversee and equip, um, remember that it is God that is ahead. Another way I like to think of this idea is that it's, it's like a coach or a, or a trainer. I love playing sport. I've played sport my whole life, coached a bit of rugby. Um, and what all a coach does really is you can, you can correct your position. Um, think, of a, think of a running coach. I want us to think of a 100-meter sprinting coach. They can, they can correct your position. They can correct your diet or your technique. Uh, they can even think about your motivation. They can invest time. They can care for you. They can instruct you. The only thing they can't do for you is the actual training and the actual running of the race. And I just want to take a moment here. I want us to pause. And I want to talk to the leaders in the room. Um, there's a few of you, which, which I am, uh, talking to the, the pastors, the elders, uh, the ministry directors, the community group leaders. It says, Paul has really clear instruction of how we're meant to serve the church. And it's to equip the saints. Um, I often fall into the trap of wanting to do everything myself. Um, I think that is human nature. Can I say to the leaders, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. Take risks on people. Train them up. Send them out. Take risks, train people up, and send them out. The New Testament model for a leader is to help and encourage all of God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. I want to say that really slowly because this is very important because I think we have this pyramid model often in the global church and all churches that the leaders are at the top and then everyone else is kind of at the bottom. The model for leaders in the New Testament is to help and encourage all of God's people not the select few, all of God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. So leaders of the church, that's your bit, and that's my bit as well. It's not about me and making sure that I can do the best job. It's actually helping all of us, every single member, to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. Now moving on, that's for the leaders. Thank you for humoring me there. Who do they equip? They equip the saints. They equip God's people. Um, this, this term is a very special term that Paul uses because it's referring to, to Christians. I think when, when people read the saints, it's a very uh, distant word. Um, this is the idea that the saints is actually all of us. All of us in our imperfections are called saints. We're perfect in God's eyes. Um, it's not a term used for the elite or the super spiritual. 
It's actually a term that's used for the everyday imperfect Christian. And it literally means holy ones. Literally means holy ones or set apart for a purpose. Now, I was talking to the leaders before. Now I'm talking to everyone else in the room. You might not know this, but you are called to ministry. No leader, might, no, leader no pastor might have told you that, gotten up and told you that. You are called to ministry, every single one of us. And this isn't about quitting our job or becoming a pastor. This is about you using whatever gifts you have given to you by God to use them productively for his church. I'll say that again. I'll say that again. Ministry is not left to a special group of people. It's meant to be the work of everyone in the church. It's meant to be the work of everyone in the church, that you would use whatever gifts God has given you to productively serve his church. And this passage envisages ministry as the calling of all of God's people. It's the calling of all of God's people. Now, some of you might be thinking, James, that's all well and good. Um, I understand what Paul's saying, that everyone is meant to be doing the work of the church. But you might be sitting there thinking, what do I have to contribute? I feel like I I have nothing special to offer. The church seems to be operating fine without me. What do I have to offer? I'm not, a, not as gifted as that person, so I won't even bother responding today. Well, you, you couldn't be more wrong. Um, don't take my words foot for it. I don't, want you to, I don't want James to convince you. I want you to, I want you to hear this from God's word. Um, <clears throat> every time Paul speaks about gifts, he prefaces it by saying that each one of us, grace has been given. So each one of us, grace has been given to us. Each one of us have been given a gift. Um, there's a couple of verses that show this. Ephesians, so yeah, we'll start in Romans 12, 6. We've been given different gifts. And linked to that, he goes straight to according to the grace given to us. So if we've been given grace, if you call yourself a Christian and you receive grace, you are giving gifts. You are giving gifts. And going back to Ephesians 4, 7, similar thing, it says that, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You have gifts from God. You have have gifts from God. If you've been apportioned grace, you you have a gift from God. You really do. And secondly, I want to speak into that side that the the church is operating fine without me. Um, The church doesn't have everything it has without you. NBC, we can't be everything we are unless all of us are contributing and being part of it. Um, just as Christ has apportioned it, each of us have been given a measure. Um, Ephesians 4.16, this is a really interesting idea that every ligament, every single ligament has played, played a part. So from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want us to think about this idea of a ligament and how, how important ligaments are. Some of you know this, but April last year, I tore my anterior cruciate ligament in my right knee. It was heartbreaking. Played my whole life playing serious rugby. I played two years of social soccer, and I do my knee. It was very, very frustrating. You know how, you know how big the anterior cruciate ligament is in your knee? It's about, it's about the size of your pinky, give or take. It's about the size of your pinky, that small. And do you know what me rupturing that ligament did? I was done. 12 months, I couldn't run. 
12 months I couldn't run. I was on crutches for eight weeks. My wife had to <laughs> help me to the bathroom. I couldn't keep cook, couldn't help myself. I was, I was helpless. I was helpless. And it broke my ego as well, my sporting ego. <laughs> but this idea of ligament, that every single part, sometimes the smallest part when that's out of place, the whole body suffers. The whole body suffers. Sometimes the smallest part when that's out of place, when that's hurting, the whole, the whole body hurts with it. Paul's getting to this idea that every part is crucial and every part, every one of you, build up the body. Every one of you are crucial and build up the, po- the body. And, and here's what's interesting, is only you can play your part. We are only NBC when everyone is turning up, when everyone is playing their part. Um, when we are the only full measure when everyone is committed. Um, and this is very exciting for us. I think we're in a season where, we're, where we've been growing for a long time and we're, we're thinking about what's next as we continue to grow and be a light on a hill. If Jesus has apportioned the gifts in this place, if Jesus has apportioned to each one of us grace and gifts, we have everything we need in this room, in this church, to take the next step. We're not lacking anything. We're not waiting for new people to walk in the door. We're not waiting for the next super gifted person to walk in the door. If God is apportioned grace and gifts, we have everything we need in this room to take the next step. I think think that's really exciting. And that's really exciting and a a good knowledge. As as God has got you here, he's got you here for a purpose. Now, what, what do we do with these gifts? What do we do with these gifts? Um, Paul says elsewhere, Romans 12.5, that these gifts are they're for the common good. We have different gifts according to the grace. Is 12.5 there, Tinica? No, it's not there. Anyway, you trust me. Let's, Romans 12.5 says that the gifts are supposed to be used for the common good, for the building up of the church. Um, the, the, the gifts aren't supposed to be for our own, our own glory, our own talents. Um, some of you might remember me when I was 21. Some of you might not. I became a Christian when I, was, when I was 18. And I think what was a big turning point for me was me understanding that it was a coming of age moment, really, that everything that I've been given, every gift or talent, isn't to be used for James Dawson's reputation or James Dawson's glory, that I actually found greater purpose and greater meaning when I used my gifts and talents uh, to bless others. Um, I was a fresh Christian. Um, sole purpose in life was go to uni to get the best degree, to get into the best job, so I can have the most money, uh, so I can just live the best life. Um, and it all turned for me. I was in a, a Bible study, um, and the Bible study leader was a teacher. And uh, he unpacked this passage in Acts where Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Uh, and he told this story that he has such different purpose and satisfaction compared to when he's teaching during the term, then the school holidays. And I didn't get that. I was like, don't, don't teachers do their job for the school holidays, for all the holidays they get during the year? That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe you talk me into being a teacher. He was like, no, no, no. I actually find more satisfaction when I'm teaching than when I'm on holiday. He finds when I'm on holidays, I have fun. You know, I'm surfing, doing what I want. But I find myself getting lazy. I find myself, you know, staying up late, just watching movies, TVs, doing whatever I want. And when my head hits the pillow, I have such a lack of purpose. And he goes, there's, there's good rest, 
but then there's purposeless rest. But he says even when he's teaching, when he's pouring into the kids, when he's using his gifts and his talents to encourage and build up others, he feels so much more purpose, so much more meaning and satisfaction in life. And that was, that was honestly a big turning point in my perspective, a big coming-of-age moment where I understand as an ambitious 19-year-old guy say that my gifts and my talents are actually have more purpose and more meaning um, when I bless others with those gifts. And this is, this is a really freeing moment for me. I did, it means I don't have to invent myself or reinvent myself. Um, it just means I have to open my eyes to the needs around me, open my eyes to the people around me, and say, who can I serve? And who can I serve? And I'll say that to you as well, for you, us at NBC, us to open our eyes and to look around and say, who can we serve? With the grace and the gifts that God's given me, who can I serve? So that's part one. Part one, purpose for our leaders, to equip. And the purpose for all of us is to do works of service. Now part two, and this is the, the trickier one, is the, the why commit? Why commit to God's church? Why use these gifts here? Why use these gifts here? Um, I think a big, part, big purpose of this equipping, equipping uh, that Paul uses here is um, we, have, we have a goal that we're work, working towards. We have this really beautiful goal that he, he unpacks um, and what it looks like when we're all working as a body and we're all committing to the same goal. Uh, Ephesians 4.13 says that until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I just want to leave that on the screen for a little bit. There's these really key goals, unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, so knowledge of Jesus, becoming mature, and attaining to the fullness of Christ. Unity, knowledge, and fullness. Unity, knowledge, and fullness. And I'm not sure if there's much more than the deep desires of the human heart that we look around the world and we, we furiously desire unity. We furiously desire knowledge and enlightenment and we desire, we desire fullness when we're together. We really do. And I want us just to imagine for a second a group of people who are one, who are, who are unified, who are unified in their cause. They're one in mind, one in spirit, all equal and all pulling together towards the same goal. It's a beautiful picture. I want us to imagine a group that are humbly seeking deeper knowledge. Humbly seeking deeper knowledge and love. And imagine a group of people that has grown into everything God has designed us for, into this fullness. Now, some of you have already bought into that. Some of you might not be able to buy into that. Um... And you ask yourself, how can, how can a church look like that? How can a community claim that where they're heading is perfect unity? How can, it, how can a community claim to strive for perfect unity and knowledge and fullness? And we... I think there's part of us that can commit to a bigger purpose, as Paul claims here, um, because we know Jesus, we've seen and tasted this, because when it's actually working... If it's true, it's, it's one of the best things to be a part of. Um, but sometimes 
it isn't that. It's imperfect. And if we can't commit because of this bigger purpose, um, why else can we commit? Why else can we commit? Why else should we commit? Can you put yourself uh, in this position, going back to that image of dating the church? When you were dating, I know not all of us are in that position. This is only a few years ago for me. When you were dating, what helped you get over that line to commit? Do you remember if there was a point where you were, going, you were dating, you were keeping things as at, at a distance, you were just checking, checking the partner out, Could, is this, can this work? What was, what, what's the point that there's this similar theme that goes from anyone going from dating to commitment? And there's this, there's this theme that people go from dating to commitment. You know what it is? It's a response to love. Anytime we commit to something, anytime we go from dating to marriage, from dating to starting a family, it's always a response to sacrificial love. It's always a response to sacrificial love. Ephesians 5.25, and he's, he uses this, he's talking about marriage, but he's also talking about Jesus and the church. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. There's this marriage illusion here. And it goes on in verse 32 as he talks about this idea that this idea is a profound mystery. Now, marriage is a mystery. None of us figured it out. I haven't figured it out after four years. What he's actually talking about is Christ and the church, that Jesus gave up his life for the church. I'm going to tell you a story, and this might help you um, understand what I'm talking about. This is a true story. I'm going to tell you about Les Brown Jr., and his wife, Helen. Uh, Les Brown and Helen were both born on December 31, 1918. When they met in high school, they were instantly smitten. Les and Helen fell in love in high school, high school sweethearts. Now, the problem was that Les came from money and Helen did not. Helen came from a working-class family. And Les, Les's parents in particular, so Les's parents come from money, they were strongly disapproving of the young love. Les and Helen had every intention to marry and fall in love, but Les's parents did everything in their power to stop the marriage going ahead. But as soon as they left high school and graduated, you know what the turning point was? Les Brown left his inheritance, left his comfort, left his parents' money, went and knocked on Helen's door, grabbed her hand, and they married. Les left everything he knew, left his money, his comfort, and went after Helen. Both left their house at 18. At great personal risk, Les pursues Helen. You know how long they were married for? 75 years. Beautiful. And after 75 years, Helen dies July 16, 2016, and Les passes away the next day. Les leaves his comfort and his inheritance at great personal cost and he pursues Helen, 18 years old, and Helen says, I know this will cost me a lot. I know what's at stake, but I'll commit. I'll commit. Committing isn't a blind step of faith. It's a response to sacrificial love. 
It's a response to sacrificial love. In the same way, Helen saw that Les was giving up a lot, she says, I'm in. 75 years of marriage. It's beautiful. Now let me tell you about another marriage story. Jesus shows up on our doorstep, leaving behind his inheritance, his comfort, his perfect home, and he shows up on our doorstep. And instead of responding in love, we actually reject him. And worse than rejecting him, we publicly ridicule him. And the ultimate act of shame, we murder him. And yet still, after we've murdered him, he rises from the dead. He comes back to us, back to our front door, and still offers us his love. He offers us perfect relationship. He offers us all of his inheritance in the same way Les does. And he asks us, will you commit to me? And this, is, this story of Jesus, this, this love story, is the reason I know that Christianity isn't man-made. The reason I know that Christianity isn't this made-up story, because it's too ridiculous. It's too ridiculous even for Hollywood. If, someone, if this Hollywood scriptwriter came up in one of the boardrooms and say, here's this idea of this, this man you know, that leaves his inheritance, the woman rejects her, then they get, he gets murdered, comes back to life, goes back to her and still offers the same thing. It's forgiveness that's outside the comprehension of human understanding. It's this beautiful, sacrificial love. Commitment isn't a blind step of faith. It's a response to sacrificial love. And some of you I know have been, yeah, you feel like you've been burnt by commitment, um, even burnt sometimes by committing and serving the church. This has been a good reminder for me uh, just in my few years of, as I've poured into the church. This is a quote I read as, as I was reading and preparing. If Jesus loves the church, you and I should too. We can't use the excuse that the church has messed up too many times or that we're too disillusioned. Jesus is the only person who has the right to disown and give up on the church. But he never has. And he never will. He's gone to great extents to love his bride, and so should we. In closing, uh, today you might just be checking out Jesus, dating the church. I said, please continue. Perfect. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has reached out to you in sacrificial love. He's reached out to you. He's done everything in his means to show you that he loves you. Um, And maybe today that can be a response to, to committing to that saying that I believe in that, and not responding with flowers or or chocolates or fluffy love, um, but committing with your life. Um, And for those of us that have been convinced already and responded to Jesus' love, um, keep loving and serving. Um, Keep loving and serving and committing to this imperfect church as he makes it perfect. And how quickly we forget that we don't serve him to make us love us or to gain his love, We serve and commit as a response to his great and sacrificial love. Um, In closing, we're just going to respond in two ways. Invite the band up. We're going to respond in song. Um, It's always the perfect response um, to worship Jesus as a response of what he's done. So I invite the band up and we're going to sing. And then I'm going to pop up after the song and and talk us through how else we, we can respond.